ChristianRadio.com presents stories of mystery and intrigue, espionage and suspense. Hear tales of ticking time bombs, mysterious crime scenes, and cloak and dagger action. This is Relic Radio Thrillers. National Broadcasting Company invites you by transcription to join the chase. There is always the hunter and the hunted, the pursuer and the pursued. It may be the voice of authority or a race with death and destruction, the most relentless of the hunters. There are times when laughter is heard as counterpoint and moments when sheer terror is the theme. Always there is the chase. The motives that drive the murderer in pursuit of his victim are threefold. There is murder for passion, be it anger, love, or hate. And there is the mad, unreasoning urge to kill blindly that propels the homicidal maniac to his nefarious work. But it is the most blood-curdling motive of all that sends the last of our trio into his frenzied chase for an innocent victim... Murder for profit. Come in, come in. Welcome to Bass's Wax Museum. Oh, mind the gate. This elevator is a bit old, but still serviceable. Surprised we're descending? You see, the coolness, the dampness, and the half-light of the cellar is necessary for the preservation of the most extraordinary collection of hand-carved celebrities it has ever been your privilege to see. Ah, here we are. <laughs> now, now, mind the step now. It's in need of a bit of oil. And our floors could do with a new board here and there. But what we lack in decor, we make up for in interest. <laughs> Morbid interest, so to speak. Murderers all. And long since resigned to dusty death. But their waxen counterparts are here, as big as life. Now, on this rack, sir, is a book. A fat book, complete with case histories. Ah. This page belongs to Albert Hawkins, the Lancashire menace. Uh, that's Albert over there in the corner, uh, with the trowel in his hand. <laughs> oh, he doesn't resemble a menace, I know. As a matter of fact, the description of Albert, which was given the court by a real estate dealer at the turn of the century, described Albert perfectly. <laughs> Albert Hawkins? Yes, Your Lordship. I met the man six months ago. But if he was fixing to be a ruddy killer, he didn't show it. A bit runty he was, sir, with no hair on the top of his pate. And he looked kind of peaked, without the strength of a rabbit. 
And when he called at my office, he was wearing a suit of clothes three sizes too big for him. Yes, sir? Are you Mr. Willis, the uh, house agent? I am, Matt. My name is Hawkins, Albert Hawkins. Uh, what can I do for you, Mr. Hawkins? I've been told the Windhaven house is for sale. The Windhaven house? The large one on the moors. Well, it's for sale, all right, if anyone's fool enough to buy it. Sir? Now, look here, Mr. Hawkins. The Windhaven mansion's a part of Rotten Beams, and I haven't shown it to a customer in years. It's the Windhaven house that I want, Mr. Willis. No other. Providing the price is right. Oh, it's as right as ransom. Just 500 quid and you've got it. Lock, stock and cellar. 500 quid? Well, that's a proper sum for an house that size. Where can I see it, Mr. Willis? <laughs> now, if you like. The day's still young. But are you sure you want to buy? Positive, Mr. Willis. The Windhaven Mansion, my friends, was once the property of an English earl. By the year 1901, when Albert first laid eyes on the house with Mr. Willis as his guide, the heavy beams that lined the ceilings were rotting in disrepair, and the stout stone walls in the cellar were showing large chinks between their edges. But this seemed to suit Mr. Albert Hawkins' purposes, because he closed the deal with Mr. Willis on that very day. Be careful, Mr. Rockins. This cellar's wet with slime. And roomy, too. What was that? Uh, a rat, no doubt. Borders you'll have to dispossess before taking over. I'll manage, Mr. Willis. Now, I can still show you something much better and a lot nearer to town and civilization. No, thanks. This suits me fine. When will you have the papers ready? Oh, well, uh, in about a week. I'll pay you 50 quid down and the rest inside a month. Only 50 pounds on the line, Mr. Rockins. Well, you'll get the rest in due time. Don't fret about it. Well, uh, when do you plan to move in? In a fortnight. With uh, my new bride. Oh, honeymoon, eh? Yes, and Annie will love the place. It should suit her fine. <laughs> Annie Butler was Albert's first wife. The middle of the three wax ladies standing with him on the platform over there. She was fair, fat, and 40. And she'd inherited a little nest egg of 3,000 pounds just before Albert popped the question and made her his bride. Oh, Albert, you're a car. <laughs> you're a cream puff, any girl, a blooming cream puff. Will you always love me like you love me now? Always, Annie. Until the day you die. Oh, Albert, is that the house up ahead? That's it. My, but it's big. Are you sure we can afford it? Positive. There isn't a neighbour around, is there? Not a soul. It might get lonesome. Not for us, darling. Not for us. We'll be snug as two bugs in our love nest. You don't know how happy you've made me, Albert. Well, you have had an odd life, Annie. I'm not only an orphan, but I haven't a relative in the world, no one outside of you, who cares whether or not I live or die. I'm aware of that, Annie. But now I've got you, and things will be different. Quite different. Which uh, reminds me, my pet, did you draw your money from the bank as I suggested? Yes, Albert, I did. But remember, 
It's not to be spent. Of course not, Doug. You swept me off my feet when you courted me. You know, you're not handsome, Albert. Beauty is only skin deep, my love. Only skin deep. A few minutes later, Albert Hawkins carried his bride across the threshold. And that was the last time Annie Butler Hawkins was ever seen alive. Good afternoon, Mr. Hawkins. Mr. Willis, you're a treat for sore eyes. Come in, sir. Come in. Well, now, I see you've made a few repairs here and there on the outside. You seem to be doing a champion job of patching up a sorry mess. Well, I'm a jack of all trades, Mr. Willis. And two of my specialties are carpentry and masonry. I, I can handle a trowel with the best of them. Well, and how's that little bride getting on? My wife has left me, Mr. Willis. No. Yes, she up and moved out. We couldn't get along. She, she says I was critical of her cooking. Well, I am sorry to hear that, Mr. Hawkins. Yes, she's gone back to her family in Australia, and her marriage is being annulled. It's how it goes with a man whose love life's always been unlucky. You've got my sympathy, Mr. Hawkins. Uh, <clears throat> I hate to bring it up at a time like this, but I've come for the balance of our contract. Oh, I have it right here already for but... you, Mr. Willis. £450. Well... You're a man who keeps his bond, Mr. Hawkins. I must say that. Uh, you can count it if you like, to make sure it's correct. Oh, I'm certain it is, sir. Uh, well, uh, I'll be off now. Uh, and it's uh, too bad about your wife. Isn't it a shame? But then, uh, some men are better off when they live alone. I'm a bachelor myself, you see. Well, uh, good day to you, Mr. Hawkins. Good day, Mr. Willis. And a pleasant journey back. And so, with no further question, Mr. Willis climbed into his carriage and drove off. But if he had waited a little, as he left the house, he might have heard the sound of a trowel coming from Albert Hawkins' cellar. As Albert put the finishing touches on his late and lamented wife's Annie's tomb. Six months went by before Albert entered the matrimonial chase again. And this time, he picked himself a younger bride. Her name was Bridget Clydesgate. You can see her there, my friends, in wax, standing next to Annie Butler, a plain little miss in the housemaid's uniform. As you can judge for yourself, Bridget was a pinch-faced lass with mouse-colored hair and heavy braces on her teeth. But the 1,500 pounds she acquired in life insurance when her older sister died made her a natural beauty in Albert Hawkins' eyes. Oh, Albert, stick to the rod on the merry-go-round. Uh, wouldn't you prefer the tunnel of love, Bridget? Oh, how you do go on. Merry-go-rounds may be a bit queasy, Doug. Oh. Here, let's get away from the bustle of the amusement park and have a quiet chat on that bench over there. Okay. Here we are. Have a sweet, Albert. One sweet's enough for me, Dub. And I've got you. <laughs> Go on. Bridget, 
I've got a little something to tell you, and I hope you take it well. Oh, Albert, what is it? I've fallen madly in love with you. Albert! Oh, I know there's a bit of difference in our ages, but that doesn't matter. An older man, steady, more, more reliable, and a sweet, attractive young thing like you would be in better hands. Oh, Albert. I want you to be my bride, Bridget. But, but this is so sudden. I want you to marry me. You'll make me the happiest man in the world. Well, I... I just don't know what to say, Albert. You take me by surprise. Say yes, my dove. Or I'll have nothing left to live for. Oh, you're so poetic. To look at you, a body wouldn't think you were that that type at all. I have hidden depths, Bridget. Have you? And you won't regret your choice if you promise me your end. To be honest, you know, I was always open for a younger chap. A romantic type, so to speak, who'd carry me away on his white charger. But any port in a storm when you're turning 29. And I guess you'll do. Then we're to be married. Yes, Albert, whenever you say. Tomorrow's as good a day as any. Mm, my, but you are the AC one. We'll, we'll want to invite your relatives, of course. My relatives? But, but I have no relatives. Everybody's gone. I told you that the other day. Of course. How forgetful of me. My older sister was the last to die. Yes. She uh, left you a bit, didn't she? Fifteen hundred quid. Why did you ask, Albert? I want you to put that money in trust for yourself, Bridget. Suppose you take your money out right after we're married, Bridget. Right after? I've got a strong box in the mansion. It should be safer there. I don't think so. Bridget. What's the matter? You don't trust me. Oh, of course I trust you, Albert. But I don't see where a house is safer than a bank. And there's no reason for my taking my money out. Now, look here, Bridget. If you're going to be my wife, I want one thing understood. I know much more about money matters than you do, and I'll handle the purse strings. Well, if that's how you feel, we can skip the wedding. No, 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 no. It's quite all right, my love. I, oh, I ought to be ashamed of myself to talk about money at a time like this. You, look, you do whatever you like with your own funds, my dear, and I won't mention it again. Well, I don't know. Now, I really don't. Now, forgive me, Dove. Now, there's a good girl. Lift the chin up a bit. Come on, now. I'd like a bit of a kiss from my beautiful bride. Not here, Albert. Oh, oh, oh Albert. Albert. Five days later, Albert Hawkins carried bride number two over the threshold of his home. And as Bridget looked around her for the first time, Albert was making mental notes about her future. My, but this is a gloomy place. It'll grow on you, dearest. We'll have to shine it up a bit, Albert. How, my love? Oh, a little chintz here and there. A new rug. Oh, we can improve it all right. You're mistress of my castle, Bridget. Your word here is the law. <laughs> you make it sound like I'm a countess or something like that. Duchess would be closer. Oh, Albert. Albert, close your eyes. What for? I've got a surprise for you. A surprise? All right. They're closed. Tight. Tight. Now, open them out. Open them, Albert. What's that in your hand, Bridget? Fifteen hundred quid. No. I thought it over, and then... Well, then I felt a bit ashamed of myself. After all, you're my husband, and the least I could do is to put my trust in you. So I decided to take my money out and let you keep it for me. Bridget, my pet. Albert... 
You don't know how this affects me. Oh, you're crying, Albert. It's just that my heart's so touched by your faith in me, I can't control myself. Please forgive me, Bridget. Oh, Albert. My own little boy. Forever, Bridget. For as long as you live. Now, there was no such thing as a casual passerby in the vicinity of Albert Hawkins' lonely house on the moor. But if someone had happened to pass that night around 11, he would have heard a strange noise coming from Albert's cellar. And if he had known Albert Hawkins intimately, he would have recognized that sound to be the scraping of a trowel over wet cement as Albert laid his second bride to rest. Now, my friends, if you'll cast your eyes on the next two wax figures in Albert's group, you'll see the last of the actors in our little drama. On the extreme left is Kate Pincher. She was well-named. Next to her is Mr. Bristol, an inspector from Scotland Yard. Albert met Mr. Bristol at his home just a short time before he sued for Kate's hand in marriage. Yes? Mr. Albert Hawkins, I presume? The same. My name is Bristol, sir. Bristol? I'm afraid I don't place it. My card, Mr. Hawkins. A Scotland Yard inspector. How exciting. Please come in, sir. Thank you. Do, uh, what do I owe this unexpected visit, Mr. Bristol? I would like to see your wife. My wife? Known before her marriage to you as Annie Butler. Oh, Oh, Annie. Is she here, Mr. Hawkins? No, Inspector. As a matter of fact, uh, we've been divorced. Really? Annie left me months ago. And where has she gone? To her relatives in Australia. Australia? That's quite a distance from here. Quite, Mr. Bristol. Where did you obtain your divorce, Mr. Hawkins? Why, Annie said she was getting it herself in Australia. She wrote to me a month ago and said the decree was final. Do you have the letter? No, it's been destroyed. Too bad. Why? I have unhappy news for you, Mr. Hawkins. You have? There's some indication that your wife may be a bigamist. No. Yes. She's wanted for questioning in that regard. Did you know that she'd been married before to a man named Croydon? No, I did not. Her divorce from Croydon was never fully legalized. Of course... She may have been completely innocent of having broken the law deliberately. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, Mr. Bristol. Annie should be punished. What's her address in Australia? I'm not quite sure. Unfortunately, Annie left me after a violent quarrel and didn't tell me exactly where she'd be. Well, I shall contact the authorities there and see if she can be located. It's quite a place you have, Mr. Hawkins. Do you live here alone? Quite alone, Mr. Bristol. Do you ever have visitors? Never, sir. You're the first one to come here since Annie left me. Outside of the house agent. Then, uh, this scarf here that I found outside... Scarf? It's a woman's scarf. With the initials B.C. embroidered in the corner. 
So uh, it couldn't have belonged to your wife? Decidedly not. Would you know whose it is? Not at all, Mr. Bristol. Well, I'll say good day to you then. Oh, Mr. Bristol. Uh, yes? If you do manage to reach my wife, I hope you'll let me know. Of course, Mr. Hawkins. Good day. Good day, sir. And a good journey to you. friends, a more nervous man than Albert Hawkins would have let matters rest where they were. But Albert, as you know by now, had a burning desire for money, and he was already planning his third whirlwind courtship. Her name was Kate Pincher, the widow of a miser. Albert's courting tactics were a bit different with Kate than with the others, because he soon found out that Kate was just as interested in money as he was. want to marry me, do you? More than anything in this world, Kate. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. What? Why should I marry you? Look at you. You're even skinnier than I am, and your head's as bald as a mummy's. You're not exactly a rival of Miss Lillian Russell's yourself, my dear. I know I'm not, but at least I have something to offer a man. Have you? You know very well I have, Albert Hawkins. My husband left me a small fortune in gold pieces. Solid gold, Albert. And I adore every one of them. I haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about, my dove. You most certainly do, and I'm not your dove. At least not yet, my boy. Not until you can match my goal with something just as valuable. Half a million pounds, for instance? Half a million. <laughs> oh, Albert, you're dreaming. <laughs> yes, of course, according to you at any rate. However, I'm not very interested in a mercenary woman, Kate, and I'm glad I discovered your intentions in time. I'm leaving. Oh, wait, Albert. Um, perhaps something can be arranged. Oh? I'm a businesswoman with ambition. If I marry a man, he must have money too. But first, you must prove your point. How? Where is this half a million pounds you're talking about? Two-thirds of it's wrapped up in foreign investments, rubber plantations in Malaya. <laughs> and I can prove it's there, my dove, with contracts and certain bank deposits. Uh. Can you? If I do, will you reconsider my proposal? Yes, Albert, I will. Then you can also consider yourself Mrs. Albert Hawkins. As of now. For a man as clever as Albert, forgery was no problem. In a very short time, he had produced enough fraudulent papers and bank statements to satisfy his newest love. And they were married forthwith, after which they proceeded to Albert's mansion on the moors for their honeymoon. But on one point, Kate still kept Albert guessing. He still didn't know how or when he could get his hands on Kate's gold. I won't tell you where it is, and that's final. Then you're not keeping your end of the bargain, Kate. No, you said we'd merge our fortunes. We will in due time. But you won't lay eyes on a single piece of gold until I decide the time is ripe. And so the weeks went on, with Albert becoming more and more unhappy with Kate's attitude. Finally, Albert was called to London on a business matter. He was gone two days. 
And on his unexpected return to the household, he was greeted by a strange noise emanating from the cellar. Kate! Kate, I'm back! Kate! Good heavens, the cellar. With his nerves on edge, Albert bounded down the steps leading to the cellar to come upon a strange and worrisome sight. Kate, with a pickaxe poised above her head, was just about to break open Albert's cellar wall. But at the same moment, another arresting sight caught Albert's eye. At Kate's feet was an open brass-bound box filled to the brim with glittering gold coins. Kate, what are you doing? (gasps) Albert, you said you wouldn't be back for a week. Put down that pickaxe. May I... May I ask what you think you're doing? Burying my gold, that's what. I brought up my carriage with me today. Wasn't safe in my old house with no one there to guard it. So you thought you'd put it here? An excellent notion, my dove. It was an excellent notion until you walked in. But now that you know where it is, I warn you not to touch it. How lovely they are. Keep your hands off my money, Albert. So... Cool to the touch. I said hands off! And so's your scrawny neck so cool to the touch. Albert! No! There was no time now for the niceties such as the poison Albert used on the others. He had what he wanted, and in an hour he could be on his way, independently wealthy for life, so he struck quickly. But just as the deed was finished, Albert heard the sound of horses' hooves, and he knew he had a visitor. Quickly, Albert picked Kate up in his arms. The cellar was too obvious a place to leave her, so he trundled Kate upstairs to the room just above his great hall. Then, as he rested the body on the old beam floor, he noticed something else. In her last paroxysm of rage and fear, Kate had grasped a handful of gold coins. And try as he might, Albert could not loosen that steely death grip. Mr. Bristol. For a moment, I thought there was no one at home. May I come in, Mr. Hawkins? With pleasure, sir. I just stopped by to inform you there was no news of your wife whatsoever. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. We're still attempting to locate her, of course, but it's proving rather difficult because of the distance. Yes, I I understand. Uh, Are you ill, Mr. Hawkins? Ill? You seem to be a bit on the pale side. Oh, it's my liver, Mr. Bristol. I've been having a few attacks. Better take care of yourself. The liver is a delicate thing. Well, I'll keep in touch with you, Mr. Hawkins. Please do so, sir. Good day. Why, what's this? What's what, Mr. Bristol? This gold coin. Why, here's another. I see. You have a hole in the beams above on your ceiling, Mr. Hawkins. And it appears to be leaking gold coins. Perhaps we'd better go up, you and I. And investigate. 
what had happened was obvious, of course. Kate's lifeless hand had relaxed its grip on the coins, and as they fell one by one from her fingers, they rolled through the crack in the ceiling to Inspector Bristol's feet. It was a sound that brought a chill to Albert's heart, but that chill turned to ice a few weeks later when the scaffold was dropped below Albert's feet as he stood on the gallows. In the animal world, there is the hunter and the hunted. Hound and fox, hawk and sparrow, cat and mouse. But who is to judge precisely which is the pursuer or the pursued as we enter the chase? The chase was created and written for the National Broadcasting Company by Lawrence Clee. Heard in the cast were Doris Smith, Kathleen Cordell... Ivor Francis, Leona Powers, John Stanley, William Podmore, and Ted Osborne. The chase is directed and transcribed by Fred Way. Fred Collins speaking. Next week, a story of violence and pursuit on The Chase. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That's the show for this week. Don't forget, there are thousands more like it at relicradio.com. Horror, strange tales, science fiction, crime, all available for free. Like to donate to Relic Radio and help keep it all free, you can do that through the website as well. Visit donate.relicradio.com. To find out more about that and see the special downloadable sets that are available. My thanks to those who have donated, and thanks for listening today. Talk again next week.